This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 29th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from back in Connecticut, Taylor, Sarah, Bruce. I'm Buster Only working from my home in Montana, which is not far from the epicenter of the baseball world, which last night was in Seattle. The Mariners fighting for a playoff spot in the American League, trailed the Rangers, bottom of the ninth inning, with J.P. Crawford at the plate, bases loaded, and this happened. And the 1-1 on the way to Crawford, swing and a fly ball to left field. Back to the ball is Carter. On the run, it's over his head. On the track, off the wall and a hop. One run will score, two runs will score. Cal scores, Dylan Moore scores. A walk-off double for J.P. Crawford. And the Mariners' hopes are still alive for the wild card. It was Rick Riz, Seattle Sports, 7, 10 a.m. in what was, it felt like a must-win situation for Seattle, and they did win. And after the game, J.P. Crawford spoke with Jen Mueller of Root Sports. How do you say on the fastball in that count? Uh, yeah, he's got good stuff, you know, just be on time, and you see a pitch, just go. Did it help at all that you had just seen this team less than a week ago, and you kind of knew what to expect with those guys out of the pen? No, you know, they do a good job mixing stuff up, and uh, they have a really good bullpen, and, you know, we just, just got me there. That inning changed so much. What did Cal getting on base, the wild pitches, and, and just kind of the way that played out, how did that affect the dynamic of your plate appearance? Oh, yeah, Cal got the inning started, you know. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him getting on base, so it all started with him. You told me yesterday there was only one thing to do, to come in and play. So what do you tell your teammates after this one? Manana, let's go. So the Mariners win in the wild card chase. The Blue Jays, who got shut down by Garrett Cole on Wednesday night, faced the Yankees, and they took care of business. Runners at first and second. Belt rockers one. High, deep, out to right, and long gone. The third home run of the night is a three-run blast by Brandon Belt. That from Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Blue Jays win that game six to nothing. Uh, this weekend, they're going to be facing Tampa Bay. Uh, the Mariners will continue their series, the last three games against the Texas Rangers. And the Houston Astros, who didn't play on Thursday, face the Arizona Diamondbacks. In Baltimore last night, the magic number for the Orioles to clinch the American League East was down to one. And this is what happened in the ninth inning. One and one, two outs, bases clear, ninth inning, two nothing else. Here's the one one pitch, ground ball, out to third base. Arias has got it, steps, throws to first, and you can celebrate, everybody. The Orioles in 2023 are American League East champions. It all culminated in this. It started with a rebuild. An incredible 2022 season, and then you make it to 2023, and the Orioles, they are the ALA's best. That from WBAL. Taylor, at that moment that they clinched, give me your reaction. Buster, it's uh, you know, it's a weird thing. I can't really get up and run around, so 
Uh, you know, I, I cheers to my television. My phone was on absolute fire. You know, all my my brothers, my cousins, all my friends, everyone's texting. Everyone's excited. Um, I'm tweeting up a storm. Uh, you know, again, my wife is upstairs. She's watching Bachelor in Paradise, and I am I'm just on a different planet downstairs. So uh, I stayed up very late. I listened to a bunch of post game coverage. Um, eventually, I fell asleep and neglected the rundown. Um, you know, so it was it was a wild evening. And the Orioles, as you saw, they had a well-earned, crazy celebration. Brandon Hyde, in the middle of that, the Orioles manager talked with Kevin Brown. One of these days, you'll blow somebody out to clinch something. Same, same kind of deal as last game, Ryan. You clinch the postseason in a one-run game, and you win 2-0 tonight. Wouldn't have done it any other way. This is kind of how the games we play. Uh, how about our pitching tonight? Unbelievable. Uh, Dean, incredible. Bullpen guys were locked down. Tyler Wells with a save. I don't think I think uh, nobody was expecting that. Me either before the game. But uh, I'm just so proud of these guys. So happy to watch them celebrate. They deserve everything. It's 100 wins in the toughest division in sports. It's a, it's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and Brandon Hyde is someone that uh, Carl Ravage and I are very happy for. We're going to be talking about that coming up. Uh, given everything that he had to work through as the Orioles manager in recent years. Adley Rutschman talked with our friend Ben McDonald. What are you feeling like right now, my man? I feel really good. Really good. I don't I don't think it gets much better than this. Can you imagine this a couple years ago? Lose over 100 games, 100 games, and the champs of the AL East. I think we believed it as a collective unit, but to be here now, to fight, to get to this moment, it means a lot. Yeah, I mean, when you guys were at that alternate site, we were talking back, back in 2020, you, Grayson, D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, I mean, were there ever any conversations about, hey, when we get there, we're going to do special things? I think for us, we did have that kind of mindset of, of what if, but you just don't know because you haven't been in the big leagues yet and you want to take a little bit of a kind of a humble approach not knowing, but we were excited to get there and hopefully have our impact and to be here now and have it, to be here now and to have that impact, is, it means a lot and I, I think we're just very humbled to be here in this spot. Man, congratulations, awesome, proud of you, man, keep it going. In the National League, a really difficult situation developed on Thursday night in City Field. The Marlins and the Mets were playing in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Mets took a 1-0 lead. In the top of the ninth, the Marlins rallied. The 2-2 pitch, the Gurriel from Kay. And he swings it, he hits it. Out of line in the left field, the base hit for Gurriel. Chisholm's going to score. Chisholm's going to score. The Marlins have taken a 2-1 lead here in the ninth inning. They've done it again. That from 940 WINZ. You know what happened after that? The game stopped because of rain. They waited for hours, and eventually it was suspended. Uh, it looks like that if the game needs to be resumed, if this outcome is critical to deciding who makes the playoffs in the National League, they will continue it on Monday. A lot of frustration from Skip Schumacher, the manager of the Marlins, you could see it. He was uh, looked like he was yelling at uh, someone involved with the groundskeeping. Really a, a, a tough situation there. Meanwhile, the Cubs were in Atlanta trying to salvage the final game of what has been a terrible series for the Cubs. Matt Olson had other ideas. Driven down the right field line towards the pole for the record. It's a home run. And a 70-year record has fallen here at Truist Park. Matt Olson just set the club record for RBIs in a season on his 54th home run of the year, and the Braves have the lead. 
two to one Atlanta. Now from 680, the fan, the Braves went on to win the game five to three and sweep the Cubs, which is why David Ross, the Cubs manager, was answering questions about that after the game. I feel like it's kind of wash these last three days and just go after yeah. it. Yeah, 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 we got to play good. Yeah, we got to play good baseball. We're gonna, we, we need some things to go our way, and, and we've got to take care of our business. Rossi, polite but shortened to the point. I'm sure he couldn't wait to get on a plane uh, to go to Milwaukee where the Cubs will finish their season against the team that won the National League Central earlier this week. The Diamondbacks, meanwhile, trying to finish up their series in Chicago against the White Sox with a win. But Yuan Mancara applied the coup de grace in the bottom of the fourth, as it turned out. Another 2-2. Moncada swings and puts a jolt into one. Left center field. This is gone. Just over the wall. Moncada homers in a 2-2 count. And the White Sox lead 3-1. This is what it sounded like at the end of the game. 1-2. Swing and a miss. And the White Sox avoid the sweep at the hands of the Diamondbacks as they take this series finale by a final score of 3-1. to one. It is a setback for Arizona in its playoff aspirations. They could have taken a huge step towards securing a postseason berth with a victory here today, but it was not meant to be. And from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM, at the moment, the Phillies, of course, are going to be the number one wildcard team in the National League. They will host a series the Diamondbacks sit is the number two wild card, and at the moment, the Marlins sit is the number three wild card, effectively because they own the tiebreaker against the Chicago Cubs. And what a scene in Philadelphia last night. Pirates and the Phillies, Bryce Harper ejected on a check swing call by Angel Hernandez. And they say he swung at third base umpire. He's swung, and Harper's about to get ejected. He's walking towards third, and now he's been tossed. Harper is walking out there, helmet in hand. He's now almost about 10 feet from third base, walking all the way out to have his say with Angel Hernandez. And Bryce Harper now nose-to-nose with Hernandez as Rob Thompson comes to get Harper, who keeps pointing and shouting at Hernandez. Harper just chucks his batting helmet into the crowd, over the netting behind the dugout. It goes into about the fifth row, and now a scrum for the souvenir. That from Sports Radio 94 WIP. There actually was a a fun outcome to the helmet launch by Bryce Harper. We're going to get into that during the podcast. All right, Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we got a really good new episode of the College Game Day podcast, Week 5 Picks. Stanford Steve was out for the episode, so I filled in for him. Um, I made some fun graphics for it. Check it out on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And Sarah Abbott just killing it with the L. Duncan show. Uh, her worlds collided with uh, the whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing, um, which they were able to talk about on that show and uh, got a got, they, they got aggregated, Buster. I love when a show gets aggregated. All right. Well, we're going to talk to Sarah later in the podcast about this whole situation with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Uh, she has not been on the show uh, earlier this week, and, and I'm going to ask why. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com. 
Vividseats.com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man for our group on Sunday Night Baseball. We had our last regular season broadcast in Los Angeles last week. And, Carl, where are we going for the playoffs? It's Friday morning, okay? I'm, I'm sure we got a Zoom call coming up. we got a plan. we got to prepare. Where are we going, Carl? If I were running it, Buster, everybody would be live from home. That way we could just sit in our houses and you can do that game and you do that game and no one has to get on a flight. I, I try to preemptively strike here, and I said, look, the government's going to shut down, which means airports are going to be a disaster. We should we should regionalize. And you're unfortunately so far away from where you might end up. But I suggested that we go to Philadelphia because many of us can drive there. Boog should go to Milwaukee because he can drive there. Uh, but I'm not sure that that's being considered. And the answer to your question is no one knows anything. Um, the rain is the rain has conspired against people, and the teams have all sort of been mediocre. You know, no one's running away with it. I have no idea where the hell we're going. I'm just looking forward to going somewhere. Yeah, my guess is, uh, you know, that uh, we're going to wind up with the Phillies. I'm with you, I, you know. But, uh, hey, I'm a soldier in this Army. We'll see. Uh, well, a private okay. in this Army. We'll, we'll see what happens there. One team that does know where it's going, the Baltimore Orioles, they get to wait for the start of the division series because Carl last night, they clinched the American League East, and I was so happy for Brandon Hyde. Uh, you know, the players, of course, uh, you know, made it happen. But Brandon Hyde was there at the beginning of the the teardown, the tanking that went on for a few years. I was worried for him that, uh, you know, he would be a classic case of a manager who never had the opportunity to, you know, to see the team turn the corner. But he did, and the Orioles are dangerous. They're really dangerous. And it's amazing, you know, when you look at it, they, their ability to finish – with as many wins as the Braves and not have the home field advantage if they if they won throughout because they lost the three-game series, two games to one to Atlanta. Just as another reminder of how important every single game is in the regular season. Every single game matters. A game in May or a series in May really matters. Uh, but with regards to what the Orioles did this year, I agree with you. There's a lot of times where you have a change in the front office and it, it impacts the manager directly, meaning you're not my guy, you're out. They, they stuck with Brandon, which was great. And I think, look, I think they were a little ahead of schedule. I think Elias said that even in the, uh, even in the off season, like, you know, we're, we're, we could be on the fringe of a playoff spot, not have the best record in the American league. Uh, look, the Mullins, the Mount castles of the world, but we did that game in Baltimore, Buster. And when I sat there with those four young guys, um, it, it, it reminded me of, again, this season is about rule changes and it's about the younger players in the game. 
And it's a tap on the shoulder to all the veterans out there and to organizations. It's just a reminder because we've seen it before, but youth can be served here. Um, Jim Leland had that when he was winning World Series. He knows it. He's like, give me talent over experience. There's so much talent, young talent in the Orioles organization and on the field right now. And to keep winning under all this pressure and all these skeptics uh, is amazing. And the Rutschmans and the Hendersons, like, they're here for a while. You know, yep. that, that that may impact the way that these other organizations, Boston with the front office change, the Yankees and whatever they're considering. Like, they, there are certain ways now that you do things. And you can get good quick, but, boy, has Baltimore – done an unbelievable job. Seattle, Cincinnati, you know, these teams now uh, I think would help dictate some of the decisions that these owners make about who's running their, their organizations and Baltimore's a great example of it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you worry for the Orioles once the postseason starts about their bullpen, you know, do they have another enough relief help? Of course, experience in the playoffs can matter. We've seen that. But even if they were to get knocked out in the division series, division series, Carl, it's been a wildly successful year for them. Would you co-sign? Oh God, yeah. Well, beyond wildly successful, I didn't look. They, I think most of the uh, most of the analytics had them at eighty and eighty-two. You know, they were a five hundred team based on all the Las Vegas numbers, the analytic numbers, the projection numbers. So yeah, no, wildly, uh, wildly exceeding expectations is accurate. And, and I think, you know, the other thing that happens in the postseason is you, you start to you start to limit the number of starters and some of them move into the bullpen. So that could help bolster their bullpen a little bit. Yep. Um, and look, I, again, I think the fact that they have hung on with an experienced raised team chasing them is an indication that things things will turn out better than most think in the postseason. I I Look, I think they're they're as good a team as there is in the league. I don't look at Tampa and think they have an advantage. I don't look at any of the teams out west and think they have an advantage over the Orioles. The Orioles have as good a chance as any team in the American League to play in a World Series, in my opinion. Any one of them. All right. At the top of the show, we're going to get back to the pennant races in a moment. But uh, at the top of the show, I mentioned about Bryce Harper getting ejected uh, in the game last night after Angel Hernandez uh, you know, called a check swing, strike three on him. Bryce went absolutely crazy, uh, and justifiably so. When you see a replay of how terrible a call it was, this is Bryce Harper after the game. Every time I get thrown out, I mean, it's just it's over and over, right? Like you, you do something on the field, and it's like, oh, you did it wrong, or you take a pitch, you know, over the plate, and it's a ball, and I get thrown out. It's, it's my fault, you know. It's just you know, so I, I understand you have to live up to a, a certain. Um, you know, a big leaguer mentality, right? You have to, you have to act like it. You have to show that. Um, so I, I understand that, but at the same time, it's just when there's a call that bad or something happens, it's just I think it's wrong um, for both sides, right? Um, you know, hitting, pitching, anything. Um, and there's times where it's warranted, and there's times where it's not. He didn't say anything to you, did he? You know, when he got he just told me if I saw the replay that, you know, I I would know that I was wrong. So, I mean. Yeah, so. Did you see the replay? I didn't need to see the replay. <laughs> yeah, he didn't need to see the replay. He was 100%, Bryce was 100% right. Uh, as he walked off the field after being ejected, he launched his helmet into the stands. 
It wound up in the hands of a Hayden Dorpman, who uh, is 10 years old, apparently, and he was interviewed by NBC Philadelphia. Give a listen to that interview. This is Hayden Dorfman, who ended up with uh, Bryce's helmet here. So take me through. You had strategy to, to getting this helmet. Take me through the moment. Um, so I first I saw him throw it, and I knew I wouldn't get so I kind of just stood still. Because the dads went for it, right? You yeah, told me that. There was like three or four dads just diving in. It's always the dads, guys. And it, and it was pure chaos. I did not want to go in there. <laughs> but then I kind of just stood on the outside in case like it fumbled out. But the dads thought I was going for it. So I started yelling, give it to the kid, and that worked. The sympathy worked, Hayden? Yes. That's, that's what the face of a 10-year-old would do. Uh, so in hindsight, I guess it's kind of it's bittersweet because Bryce got kicked out, but a, a very cool moment for you, I'd imagine. You just said a minute ago, when is my leg going to stop shaking? When do you think that leg's going to stop shaking, Hayden? I don't know. Probably never. Yes, and he also went on, Carl. What a great interview by Hayden Dorfman. I love that. The the build, the strategy that he forms in the moment to get the helmet that was thrown into the stands, uh, you know, out of nowhere. It, <laughs> it's the uh, it's the wide receiver when the hail mary is thrown up that doesn't right. get into the scrum, but waits for the ball to be deflected and then catches it. And then, of course, the ten-year-old's appeal of like you know everybody's give it to the kid. Uh, we now know what he Hayden's going to be for Halloween. I mean, he is absolutely <laughs> Bryce Harper. He's got the he's got the legitimate, authentic helmet. So we know what he's going to be for Halloween. Yeah, look, that that part of the story is great. The other part is just awful. And um, you know that the, the check swing call is always the most confounding call that umpires make. There's confusion at every level. Oftentimes, a home plate umpire will make the call himself, and then the hitter will say, well, don't you need to ask for some help? No, I didn't need to ask for some help. It's, it's never quite clear, you know, and everybody seems to have this theory on, oh, yep, broke the plane, David Cohn. Look, if he can put the ball in play fair, then that's what it should be. Um, look, they, they, they should have the ability to look at that and say, no, that is not a swing. He's still in the box. I don't know why that doesn't happen, but my guess is because no one really knows what it is to check a swing. And I think that's, that's a huge problem. I'll say this about Harper. Um, and he has gotten thrown out. I, I'm guessing, Buster, 85% of the time, he is right about yeah. the call that he gets nailed on. He, and he will go and look. You know, He will check it out right away. In this case, no one had to look. I think the hubris of uh, Angel to suggest that if you look at the replay, you know you're wrong is embarrassing. That's that's like you talk about somebody who's out of touch. Like, what do you mean if you look that that's a bad that's just a bad thing. That's a bad comment. It's a bad look. Um, And it's 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 just uh, it's just more grass on the pile from the clippings. It's just another another load. A few extra thoughts on that. Uh, you know, I didn't mention Bryce uh, autographed the helmet for the kid, for Hayden, which was awesome. Uh, I love the fact, and you and I have had conversations about this, we get to cover these guys from the beginning of their careers to the end, and you see the growth in people and hear Bryce after the game owning it, so to speak. Like, I need to turn the page. Like, it's my responsibility to turn the page. I was ejected, disagree with the call, but for it. So he didn't go out and just flat out blast Angel Hernandez after the game. He was kind of moving on. Uh, and I see always see a lot of reaction on social media when Angel has a bad game 
And I've gotten to the point with him where my feeling is, look, don't blame Angel Hernandez. This is on Major League Baseball. This conversation about Angel Hernandez has been happening for a lot of years, okay, that he's not a good umpire. In our game last year, Kyle Schwarber went nuts on him, and he was making the point like you're bad on their side for them, you're bad for us, this is terrible, and yet it always seems like he winds up in a postseason series. Yeah. And and I, I'm not a labor lawyer. I don't know what the relationship is between Major League Baseball and the union, but to me it's ridiculous that everyone sort of has to work around a situation in which everybody feels like he's not a very good umpire. And he constantly lands in the situation. It's responsibility of Major League Baseball to get this resolved, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, when I watched it, uh, I thought about the postseason. And you wonder, like, how is this – why is this allowed to happen? Right. To your point, I don't, I don't know what the labor laws are. I don't know what he has on Major League Baseball that prevents them from saying you can't work these series. But to be in this situation, to see that last night and be reminded of the game when which Schwarber looked at his own bench and then the opposing bench and say, it's not only us, it's you two, you're getting screwed. Um, to, to have that be something that's a possibility, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. You know, you don't you don't you don't have pilots who have a history of crashing planes still going up to fly them. You don't have doctors who have been right. nailed for malpractice still in the operating room. Like it, it's it's not a good look and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm sure there's some explanation because it doesn't make sense. No, to me they they reach out to his representation. They write a check and they thank him for his service and they move along. But the but idea, I mean, you, what, what are we writing a check for? You, you, I don't even understand what that is. People get fired. People are right. dismissed from jobs for not performing. I, that's where I get, I, what do you, why do you need to write a check to get, to move somebody who, who has more than, more than many other umpires, if not all of them been in the middle of these controversies and, and been shown to be wrong about the call. Yeah. And by the way, I, you know, I've, you know, my uh, one year covering the NFL, I covered the uh, the New York Giants. They had a playoff game uh, and uh, they tried a, a field goal at the end of the game. The snap was botched. They ran a play. There was a pass interference on the guy who was thrown or it should have been a pass interference call on the yeah. guy who went yes, out for yes. a pass. Right. The next day, the NFL changed the rule about where the back official, the uh, I think it's uh, the yeah. official that was supposed to oversee that play. The next day, Carl, they changed the rule immediately. And, and I, I often have seen and this was that how I felt about Joe West at the end when everybody was complaining about him. It's not on the umpire. It's not an angel. It's on Major League Baseball to make a change when if they see a problem. And you and I, I think, would agree on this. People around baseball see a problem with Angel Hernandez managing or umpire. Yeah, yeah. And right. I will say this. Look, I will say this. Just lastly, I, I'm not. I don't think he does any of this on purpose. That that's the part that's like I don't think he he's not going out of his way right. to to purposely you know get Bryce Harper thrown out of a game. I don't think there's any malice there. And that's, the you know, that almost fortifies the argument to say, we understand this is not, you're not trying to do this. You, you don't have an ax to grind. I don't believe, but we can't have these things because the games get bigger. The missed calls get larger. You can't get thrown out in a postseason game. And you would certainly understand the frustration on Harper or anyone else in a situation like that. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. All right. Late last night, uh, really a tough situation for the Miami Marlins who are fighting for the last wild card spot in the National League. Uh, they are in a game in City Field. They're trailing one nothing after eight innings. They rally in the top of the ninth inning, and the rains continue. The field is a mess. They wind up delaying the game for hours. They come back out. They determine that the field is unplayable. Skip Schumacher, you could see how angry he was because they're they've been affected by the the Mets uh, staff handling of the of field. I, I don't look. I, I just feel bad for the Marlins. You know, yeah. as they as they try to swim upstream in this battle to to have this unlikely playoff berth, they have a situation like this where they're up late at night before they fly into Pittsburgh. It's just unfortunate. There's no way around it, and it looks now like uh, this game, if necessary, will be picked up in the ninth inning on yeah. Monday, which is less than ideal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I had a few thoughts about that as we we're watching that whole thing unfold and they came back and now it's raining and I, you know, there's no, there was no way they were, they were going to push the trip to Miami uh, to Pittsburgh off and try to play today. You're not playing in New York today. I mean, it's, there's six inches of rain all day long. So there's no way to do that. I, I was, I, I wondered like, does this revert back to the eighth inning? And it's just, and it just gives them the the loss. Like I didn't know where they were going to go with it because they got the two runs. Um, but you know, perfect storm is such a terrible thing to say in a situation like this because it does hurt them. And I don't believe, unless you know differently, that they were they would move the start of the wild card series back a day if they have to finish a game on Monday. I'm assuming because it's, you know, it's literally the ninth inning they play and then they go, assuming they make the playoffs to, to wherever they have to go. And they play Tuesday, like everyone else. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it, look, they knew the rain was coming. Uh, everybody was aware of it. The game starts to turn, they get the two runs and they get hurt. It, it was, it's a, it's a nightmare, but the Marlins like these other teams that are, bordering on 500 and trying to fight their way in. We'll look at this as another obstacle. Bring it on. If we sweep the Pirates, we're good. We're we're in. Like, we can't lose. And that's what they're going to go try to do. Yeah. And I I can't – in the past, when we used to have the the one-game wild card, uh, or, you know, in that situation, Major League Baseball would require the team that played that game to travel – overnight and then go play the next uh, the next game that was required and I think that that's what they'll wind up doing on Monday uh you know especially because it's not uh you know I don't think the travel for the Marlins whether they're going to Milwaukee or they're going to Philadelphia is necessarily that onerous so right, maybe they right. play that game at one o'clock or pick up the game one o'clock on uh, a Monday in New York all right uh in the National League wildcard race uh, it's the bottom of it has been shaped by the absolute collapse of the Cubs. Uh, and what's been shocking to me, Carl, is that the, what we thought was the best part of the Cubs team, this Which lockdown defense has yep. totally failed them down the stretch. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. That's, uh, you know, pitching and defense has, has really been what got them to where they are. And the idea that late in the season here, when it means the most, that they haven't been able to catch the baseball or throw the baseball effectively, they've gotten decent pitching. Um, that's that it's incredibly sort of frustrating because they address that. They they've been really good. This is not this is aberrational. It's not as if you knew kind of going in they're going to hurt themselves. At some point, they're going to make the mistake that hurts them. And um, 
you know, for David Ross and, and an infield that's been so good and so reliable, uh, there's, there's a heightened level of frustration. And given where they are in tiebreaker scenarios, you know, they're, they're in a tough spot. But again, you look at the landscape and who these teams are playing. Uh, there, there's You can't sit here today, Buster, if I were to ask you who's going to get in and you're going to give me an answer and I'm going to go to the bank with that. Like there's so no. many variables that still have to be played out here. Um, it's impossible, but they, they, they had a chance to, to, on, to lock it up and they, they screwed it up and that hurts them. Yeah, and during the 10th inning of the game on Wednesday, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. stole second base. It was his 70th steal of the season. Uh, he You could tell how much this meant to Ronald Acuna Jr. He immediately stood up and he starts to pull the bag out of the out of the, uh, the moorings uh, to give it to a groundskeeper to set it aside. Uh, our old friend, Boog Shambi, Jim Deshays on the Cubs broadcast, did not like that. Give a listen. And we're really stopping the game. Okay, to do a can, we get, can we get the can we get the can we get the base after the game? To, I mean, this is this is pretty absurd. I mean, it, it's just a hell of an accomplishment. Totally, but you but can't stop the game. You're in a, a highlight montage. <laughs> yeah. So last night they followed up. Acuna stole a base, and uh, Boog said that you know Ronald Acuna Jr. becomes the first member of the 4071 club, very subtly, like, and, and I, I, you know, look, the, the way where I land on it, I love Boog and I can't wait to see him do uh, to chat about all this. Uh, but my feeling was, look, it was a big deal. Like this was something for Ronald Cunha Jr. was a big deal. It was talked about in Atlanta for weeks about where this could go. And if it offended the Cubs a little bit in, in the midst of them trying to make the playoffs and they were delayed in that by a minute, Get over it. Play better. Put yourself in a better situation. What do you think? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll be. I think I, I hear Boog because the montage. Like, I have no problem with Acuna stopping the game, picking up the bag. Ricky going Henderson. All Henders- like, I'm good. I'm good with that. Here's the bag. Carry on. I, I don't think we all need to turn around and look at the video board and see Ronald running. I, there's a part of me that agrees with it. I, I love when you hear Jim Deshaies say, you know, really, man, come on. It's an incredible accomplishment. It's like there's, there's a concession to what this is about, like how great it is. I, I, I'm with Boog on the, do we now need to run a, a mini movie on the whole thing? Like give him his bag and let's, let's carry on and, you know, look, if he was a Braves, if he was broadcasting the Braves, I'm not sure he would be saying the same things, but it's a it's a good question to ask him. But I, I understand the, the montage. Like, well, hold on, we're pausing to watch something now. We just let's just go with the with the bag and carry on. All right. Well, uh, as I say, <laughs> I can't wait to see Boog next to uh, to pick up that conversation. All right. Last night, one of the biggest hits of the year. I think you'll agree with me on this. J.P. Crawford, two oh, outs, wow. bottom of the ninth inning. The Mariners down, desperately needing a win. He shoots the ball in left field corner. What'd you think? Look, he he's been their guy all year. Um, yep. it, they needed somebody to to do that. Look, they they were on the ropes. Like that that felt like if we don't win, we, we're we're kind of we're done. You know, we're, we're and I know we have a huge series coming up, but but we're done. That was a huge hit. And again, that's why there's there's nothing about the AL wild card or the AL West. And I, I, you know, Texas is going to win, I think the division, but there's nothing about these wild card races that are, that are 
secure at all. And the series that are being played over the weekend, you know, I, I wish that we had the ability to kind of go and, and broadcast games based on where these teams are, because that would be outstanding. Like you look at it, Buster Cubs, Brewers, check that's huge. Rangers, Mariners, unbelievable. Astros, Diamondbacks, unbelievable. Those are like series given where we are that are so huge and uh, college football, NFL, for me, there's nothing better than, than those games. And, you know that in these different ballparks, whether you're a, a Miami Marlin or a Diamondback or a Cub, you got to find out what's going on. Those things are huge. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking, for, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. It was a huge hit. All right, Carl, last thing uh, before you go. Our uh, former colleague, Kurt Schilling, was in the news yesterday. We, of course, worked with him at ESPN for years. Uh, and, and I don't really, really want to get into the specifics of it. Anybody can who is not aware can go on the internet and find out. I would say this: you know, if you have a podcast, or if you don't have a podcast, if you're just talking to somebody else, you shouldn't be revealing other people's health circumstances without per, their permission. Uh, it was a terrible thing that happened, and all I could think of yet was yesterday how with the the people involved. Can you imagine if you learned uh, about a friend or a family member's health circumstance on somebody's podcast rather than hearing that for themselves? I was just heartbroken for those who were affected by this. And and it almost feels like it it should go without saying that you should not be revealing somebody's health information uh, under any circumstance. That's that is such a violation of privacy to me, Carl. It's a little bit shocking. I agree. Um, there's not a lot to add to that. It it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I wouldn't even begin to defend it. I, I it I agree with everything you just said. I don't understand it. All right, Ravi. Well, if you get any information about where we're going to be on Tuesday in our broadcast, <laughs> let me know. Okay, I hadn't I'll even thought about the government shutdown being a factor, but you're right. I better Sorry. get in the car with Quinny now and start driving. There. <laughs> You and Quinn, that's what we should chronicle for the entire postseason. You should drive everywhere. I like this idea. We'll call it the uh, Buster Mobile with Quinn. <laughs> All right, Ravi. Thanks See for doing this. All right. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing on this Friday? I'm doing great, Buster, but I'm always sad this time of year because the season is ending, even though the postseason will be great. I'm going to miss having 15 games a day and 10 games going at once, everything else, but I'm very, very excited for October. All right, so I always turn to you for hard analysis, for a lot of uh, information, and I need you to weigh in on this. You know, as I was watching the Orioles celebration last night, I was trying to imagine what Taylor would be like in the Orioles celebration. He's, of course, a huge Orioles fan. They win the division, they wrap it up, and, and Taylor's got the broken foot. He's been on crutches. Uh, you know, he's it's a struggle to move around. Can you imagine, with all the champagne flying, all the beer flying all over the place, Taylor 
in that celebration. It sounds like a pretty stressful situation. I'd be worried about the plastic wrap underneath, you know, someone could slip, he could slip, anything. I mean, I don't know if I'm more worried for Taylor, those around him, but certainly a concerning situation. But for Taylor, I am so, so happy that this team did this, and I'm so glad he has to experience this elation. But I think it's good it was from the cat. Yeah, I I think I'd be more worried, Taylor, about those around you. Like you swinging around with, uh, you know, your crutch or or whatever you got and maybe running over, you know, like Adley Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson and and upending them. You in that celebration, it would have been a mess. What do you think? They should put me in the uh, the laundry cart like they did Heston Kerstad after they clinched the the playoff (laughs) spot and just just dump things. Hand me a beer. And then if you want to dump some champagne or some olive oil or mustard on me, go go ahead. I'm I'm an open target. Wow. You know what might be a nice idea? And I'm just, I just, this just occurred to me when you were saying that. It'd be fun if you had teams anoint one fan every year to represent all fans to join the celebration. You know what I mean? How much fun would that be? Oh my God. They would love it. I'm sure. Just like they, huh. you know, they love pouring champagne on the owner. Like it'd be the same thing. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, give that, they give that fan a, a set of goggles or not, you know, just have them, uh, yeah, that, that would be hilarious. All right, let's play the numbers game, Sarah. Number three. Number three is 100. So we'll start with Taylor's Orioles. And I know they won the division, a huge, huge accomplishment. But the thing that really stands out to me from yesterday is that the Orioles won their 100th game. So they were the first team in MLB history to go from a 110 loss season to a 100 win season in a three season. Fan. So I had a similar note the other day when they clinched the postseason, they became the second team to go from 110 losses to the postseason in that shortest span joining the Astros. But the Astros did not win 100 games that year in 2015. And the only other team to even go from 100 losses to 100 wins in such a span is the 1967 to 69 match. So maybe not the team that Orioles fans have certainly want to think of, but certainly very, very short list and really, really incredible accomplishment. Number two. Number two is nine. So I want to talk about Garrett Cole, who sealed his Cy Young Award that I think will probably be unanimous with that outing in Toronto the other day. He threw a shutout, allowing just two hits, and it was just an outstanding moment for him. I noticed in the uh, post game high five line. He stopped and hung near a boon for what seemed like a little longer than normal kind of high five. To me, I think that was partially the, hey, thanks for letting me have that. Who is in, I believe, 93 pitches and ran the nine. So we certainly had room left and gas left, but we know these days often those turn into the bullpen at that point. So it was just a perfect exclamation for him. It was also the second time this year then he threw a shutout and allowed two hits or fewer in that shutout. Last pitcher for the Yankees to do that was Zebra Wells in 1998, when, of course, one of those was a perfect game. And the nine, another use of it. This was his ninth start this season, but at least six innings, allowing three or four 
your heads that Nemo such starts in the season in Yankees franchise history, which we know is pretty wanted. So just an outstanding season for him. And I saw that not only with his wife in the stands for the game, but his parents came out to make sure they saw the game. So just a great thing for him all around. Number one. Number one is 14. So I wrote a story today about Miguel Cabrera, you know, sass impacts from his career. And it was really fun for me because, you know, I started at ESPN in 2015. So I was not a researcher from the peak of Miguel Cabrera's career. I was a fan and I was a huge fan of his. I remember going to a game in June 2015, right before I graduated, between the uh, White Sox and Tigers and telling my best friend, get a picture of me with Bingy in the background. I was so excited. But it was really fun to dig into stats to show just how good he was at his peak. The 14 is for 14 straight season to start his career 2003 to 2016 that he received MVP votes. That is the fifth longest streak all time by any player of at least receiving one MVP vote. The only streaks longer. Hank Aaron had 19 straight years that he received MVP votes, which is absolutely incredible. Sam Usual had 16 straight. We give him, uh, we skipped the year he missed uh, for World War II, but yep. 16 straight seasons that he played in, and the Barry Bonds and Yugi Berry, each with 15 straight. The difference with Mingy, and I kind of mentioned it before, is that this began with the year he debuted. He is the only guy to have that long streak starting with his debut season, which is absolutely incredible in a really cool way to sort of visualize and think about how good, consistent, and relevant he was for so long. Yeah, so I had a conversation recently with Justin Verlander about the Hall of Fame voting and how I think that there are players who should be put in unanimously. You and I know that they were, you know, the only person that's ever happened was Mariano Rivera. And I hope and feel like that the, the voters should reset how they handle this thing because there were years in which guys like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron didn't come close to getting voted in uh, unanimously, which is just mind boggling to me. But going forward, Miguel Cabrera should be one of those guys who gets in unanimously. And Sarah, as I was also, as you were talking, I was thinking about if you were to drop a list of the greatest at bats in the history of baseball, that Miguel Cabrera's at bat in his rookie year against Roger Clemens would be in that uh, would be in that conversation where Roger, who a Hall of Fame uh, caliber pitcher himself, tried to knock Miggy down to send him a message to try to intimidate him, and not only does Miggy dig into the box again, but he hits a home run to the opposite field in Florida in that old ballpark, Pro Player Stadium, I think it was named at the time. It was remarkable that somebody could do that in a World Series game. I think David Freeze is at bat in, uh, you know, 2011 would be in that conversation. It'd be fun to generate that list with you at some point. Like the greatest at bats in the history of baseball, you know? So maybe maybe we can start doing doing putting that together because as you know a lot of them would be in the postseason probably all of them would be in the postseason does that sound like a good project absolutely and I love that I mean that's a unanimous Hall of Famer to me and as you said there's a history there guys who obviously should have been more in but I think you know with Mariano Rivera moving forward we should see a lot more because there are so many guys like Maggie where I can't think of a single reason. Not to vote from. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Verlander would be in that category. Max Scherzer would be in that category. You know, it, it that to me should be the exclusive club. You hear voter writers sometimes will complain there's not an exclusive club. The guys who get in unanimously would become an exclusive club, and that would be great. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Russell. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing? Happy Friday morning, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, look, your Boston Red Sox have been out of the running for about six, seven weeks. And Kenley Jansen the other day complaining out loud about uh, the front office not adding starting pitching help before the trade deadline was pretty interesting. Uh, but tell me, you as a baseball fan, in reacting to the situation when your favorite team is knocked out, uh, do you then go on and adopt another team that you like to watch during the postseason? In other words, are you secretly rooting for any of these teams uh, going into the playoffs? Well, Buster, I have a kind of unique situation, I think at least, because of the fact that I moved to Philadelphia last November 4th in the middle of the World Series. Um, and no conflict between the Phillies and the Red Sox, unless you're counting the 1915 World Series, which I don't remember. So it's been pretty easy to pick up and root for this team while my Red Sox have uh, fallen flat the entire season, just a joyless year. But it's the complete opposite in Philadelphia. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, so I hear. So 
Let's go Phillies. I'm all in. Let's talk Red Sox next April. But right now, let's do it here in Philly. Yeah. And it's a fun team to root for. Like it's an easy team to root for. They look like they love playing baseball. They look like enjoy playing with each other. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It seems like a great bunch of guys every night when you see them pouring water over each other and uh, throwing beef jerky at one another or whatever their snack of the day might be. It's kind of infectious. And it's an interesting thing too, Buster, having grown up in New York and lived in the New York area. This is the furthest I've ever lived from New York City. I know I'm a coastal elite, whatever you want to call me. I was born in Manhattan. I went to college there, blah, 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 blah. Philadelphia is sixth biggest country in the United States, but it is a lot smaller than New York City. And the fact that there is only one team here, as opposed to Mets and Yankees there, really makes a difference. And uh, you walk around here, and I live in the city. You see people in Phillies garb all over the place. Eagles, of course. I'm going to my first Eagles game this Sunday, Buster. Wow. Kind of like a cultural milestone for me. Yeah, that might cement you then. Who knows? Maybe uh, you begin you begin to transition. I'm sure last night you were yelling at your television screen over Angel Hernandez's call, like, what are you doing throwing out our guy? It was just ridiculous, meaningless game at this point, but very on brand. Let's just put it that way. Both for Bryce Harper uh, reacting the way he did and getting that helmet into that kid's hands. Uh, airborne, but eventually signing it. And, uh, yeah, Angel Hernandez. What are we going to say, Buster? We covered it at the top of the show. (laughs) We talked a lot about, uh, Carl and I did, about Angel Hernandez. All right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. So, Buster, this ballpark played host to three New York baseball franchises, the Giants, the Mets, and the Yankees. It was the first home to both the NFL's New York Giants and Jets. And for one season, it was the home field for a third NFL franchise, the New York Bulldogs. The Negro League's New York Cubans played here. And Joe Lewis and Jack Dempsey won bouts here. The Polo Grounds, located off the Harlem River in Upper Manhattan, was the site of Bobby Thompson's legendary shot heard round the world and Willie Mays' greatest catch. The ballpark that we are discussing today was the last in a series of structures commonly known as the Polo Grounds with the first located on the site of a modest two-story wooden grandstand that opened in 1889. The polo ground sat below the Coogan's Bluff Escarpment, which meant that fans who held tickets in the upper deck had to walk down several flights of stairs to get to their seats. The ballpark was bathtub-shaped, the proportions dictated by the narrow lot lines of the property, and the dimensions there were very unique, to say the least. 279 feet, 8 inches to left, 257 feet, 8 inches to right. Center field might as well have been in the Bronx. The final iteration of the polo grounds included a batter's eye and space for both clubhouses and the Giants' corporate offices, in front of which sat a niche that was 483 feet away from home plate. The final version of the stadium rose up in the aftermath of an intense blaze of uncertain origin that tore through the previous wooden version on April 14, 1911. Giants owner John T. Brush set out to rebuild, using steel and reinforced concrete as the primary building materials, similar to a wave of fireproof contemporary stadiums that had begun to dot the baseball landscape at that very moment. The new polo grounds took only 10 weeks to go up. 16,000 seats were enough to start with, and the cost was a cool half a million dollars. 
The park's details were elegant, including a decorative frieze that encircled the upper deck that included the coats of arms of all the National League teams rendered in relief in turquoise blue, ivory yellow, vermilion, and gold. How about that? Additional seats were added, and the Giants made the first of three consecutive World Series appearances that October, but all were losing efforts. The Yankees played there for a decade, starting in 1913. They moved out when they built their own stadium right across the Harlem River. The Giants renovated and expanded the ballpark to 55,000 seats in 1923, and the ornate decorations that encircled the upper deck were removed. The entire stadium was double-deck and enclosed, with the exception of center field. Despite the club's success on the field, the ballpark began to fall into disrepair in the 1940s. The neighborhood was changing, too, and attendance began to fall. The Giants won the World Series buster in 1954. The following year, they averaged only 10,432 fans per home game. And the next year, 1956, the club finished in sixth place in the eight-team National League, and attendance plummeted by 24% year over year. So the Giants finished last in NL attendance in both 1956 and 1957, averaging a little more than 8,000 fans for home game at the decrepit polo grounds, which Sports Illustrated called, quote, an antiquated museum. The Giants, of course, left for San Francisco after the 1957 season. The polo grounds enjoyed one final baseball act, starting in 1962, when the expansion Mets played their home games there for two years while Shea Stadium was being built. They spiffed up the old place. They sunk $350,000 into renovations, which included a blue and orange paint job for the new tenants. But when the Mets left, the wreckers arrived using the same wrecking ball that took down Ebbets Field in 1960. Mm. Do you want to see a piece of the polo grounds? You got to head to Phoenix, believe it or not, where 10 150-foot-high light towers that once illuminated the polo grounds now light up Phoenix Municipal Stadium, Arizona State University's baseball field. Or better yet, Go visit the staircase that runs down Coogan's Bluff from Edgecombe Avenue to Harlem River Drive at about 158th Street. It's called the John T. Brush Stairway, and a vintage marker from its dedication in 1913 connects the past to the present to the polo grounds, which is this week's Forgotten Field. Man, I I love stories about the polo grounds. Uh, As you were talking, I was thinking about this. In all of professional sports, can you imagine a longer walk than the one that Ralph Branca took uh, from the mound in the polo grounds after giving up Bobby Thompson's home run out to the clubhouse in center field like a million miles away as the Giants are celebrating, the fans are celebrating. It's not like he could just duck into the dugout and, you know, go back into the clubhouse that's nearby. He's got to walk all the way across that field. Was it? Arguably the longest walk in professional sports. It's got to be, right? It's got to be. And given the gravity of the moment, the importance of that rivalry, the fact that New York was the media capital of the world at that point, I don't think there's any argument about that. A long walkout by Ralph Branco, who handled that whole thing admirably right till the end. The man was, uh, was a saint. And the day that Dave Winfield was born, October 3rd, 1951. Wow. Uh, and I wanted to ask this question, of course, uh, with Brooks Robinson passing away in recent days, 
Uh, you know, a lot of highlights from the 1970 World Series, which was the greatest, I think, series of defensive plays by one guy over the course of a in the span of just a few days in the biggest moments. You mentioned uh, Willie Mays' catch in the 1954 World Series, which, Todd, I thought about this all week. Like, what's the greatest defensive play in the history of baseball? And I know it's been a long time since the Willie Mays played. I still think that stands the test of time. I think Brooks Robinson had the best series of plays, but if you're going to pick one play that one player made in a moment, that would be the one for me. What about for you? Yeah, I don't think there's any arguing it. It's the World Series, the biggest stage that this game has to offer. I think to me in retrospect, and I was too young to have seen it, um, the whole sequence of Brooks Robinson just, again, vacuuming, that's the word, the human vacuum cleaner, vacuuming up ball after ball after ball. It was the fact that it was repetitive. I remember Greg Nettles having a similar kind of series in 78. You know, you're bringing up some bad memories for me. Game three, uh, that it broke my heart, the stupid Greg Nettles game. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. That's all right. And now, Buster, I've said this before. I'm thinking of I attended game one of the 77 World Series, your Dodgers against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Twelve innings, a very late night for young Todd Father at that time. But anyway, I agree. The Willie Mays catch, given the fact that it's New York, given the fact that it's, you know, the baseball still the biggest sport in the world in, or in America, at least at that time, before football really became ascendant, that is it. Yeah, and the hitter on that uh, that ball that uh, Willie Mays uh, caught, Vic Wirtz, hits the ball to straightaway center field in the polo grounds, and you're thinking, my God, he must have hit the ball a million feet, and it winds up with an out because Willie Mays runs it down. Uh, we need we need some stat cast angles on that. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. And how far, if you go back and watch replays, that how far Willie Mays runs to, to make that catch, it was just astounding. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. Week 29, my friends, and Sarah and Taylor with eight wins apiece. Buster with 10. So there's room to make this happen. We got the AL West going on here. So here is this week's question. So last week, we talked about the possibility of Salt Lake City joining MLB as an expansion club. So here's this week's question. Which one of these nicknames was never the nickname of a minor league club in Salt Lake City? Is it A, the Salt Lake City Elders? Is it B, the Salt Lake City Skyscrapers? Is it C, the Salt Lake Buzz? Or is it D, the Salt Lake Snowbirds? Not the name of a minor league team in Salt Lake City. The Elders, the Skyscrapers, the Buzz, or the Snowbirds. So, Sarah, you got credited with a win last week, even though you weren't here. I mean, we have all kinds of, like, the ruling is going up, appeals court. We're going to take it all the way to Supreme Court at some point. Uh, But Bruce stepped in, got you a victory. So I'm going to make you go first because of that. Well, first of all, shout out, Bruce. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear, carrying the team on your back. Um, Can I phone a friend and have Bruce? No, let's get the (laughs) answer. You got one break already. Forget it. Uh, Okay, okay. I'm going to go B. All right, Taylor. Well, this got me in trouble last week because I went away from my gut because of what Bruce chose with the first pick. So I'm also going to go B, Skyscrapers. I'm going to go D, Snowbirds. Oster, Buster, you, you, you are the man. Your 11th victory of this season. (laughs) And by the way, in light of what you said about 
uh, about Bruce having successfully pinched it for Sarah. I wasn't sure we were going to count that. So now the standings are Buster with 11, Sarah with nine, Taylor with eight. The Snowbirds were not a name. However, the Elders, the Skyscrapers, and the Buzz actually were. Congratulations, Buster. Nice. I needed that. You know, you guys are in trouble now. Are there any skyscrapers in Salt Lake City? You were all happy at the start of this, and now I could see in your face all kinds of concern. It was the humbling that I needed, you know? (laughs) Taylor, to answer your question, skyscrapers in Salt Lake City, how about the Utah Jazz? That doesn't make a lot of sense either. So No, 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 that's true. And you knew the elders were in there, right? You knew that one was one. You knew that I knew the buzz. Uh, so yeah, the snowbirds, uh, that, yeah. So yep. Victory lap for me. Great. Ski resort. Let you here in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster bleacher tweets for Friday. All right. But we're, we got to get answers from Sarah on, on her absence on Wednesday. I'm thinking she was waiting in line for to buy tickets in Kansas City because apparently they've had a spike in ticket sales since the world has come to learn that Taylor Swift may or may not be dating Travis Kelsey. Sarah, what do you got? Well, I was actually recording a different podcast, Subtle Promo. Everyone check out the Bill Barnwell Show wherever you are listening to this podcast. But I could not be happier for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. This is my Super Bowl. This is all I can think about. It is my world, and I am so pleased. Man, uh, that are you gonna? <laughs> are there any plans for you to go to a Chiefs game? No, I am not a Chiefs fan. <laughs> I am a Travis Kelsey fan because Taylor Swift made me a Travis Kelsey fan. Also, I love his podcast. But besides the point, I am not a Chiefs fan. <laughs> Okay, Taylor, I'm going to, you and I, you want to make a bet on whether or not Sarah finds her way to a Chiefs game at some point this season if this gathers momentum, because I'm saying it's going to happen. Well, Buster, do do you know where the Chiefs are playing this weekend? Where? They're playing the New York Jets at MetLife Field, not too far away from Connecticut, just saying. Well, and I think I read the news, Taylor Swift is going to be at the game, Sarah. Allegedly. You what? I said, allegedly, she's a woman of mystery. You never know with good old Tay Tay. What about you? Speaking of woman of mystery, are you going to wind up back in the, in the, are you going to find your way to the Jets game? No, because here's how I view it. If I saw her at the Jets game, it would be on the Jumbotron, right? I would see her at T like on TV, just the same way. So that's how I view it. That's pretty (laughs) level-headed from you. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. My dad was Okay, but we need proper context. How much money did you spend on Taylor Swift tickets total during the during the summertime? Um undisclosed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is classic. All right, bleacher tweets. All right. We got Noah. He writes in someone check on Taylor. His O's won the division. Thank you for checking on me. And you know what? I'm gonna hold myself accountable earlier in the show, earlier this morning. We started off with Sarah Langs at about 9.15. You know what I didn't do at 9.15? I didn't press the record button for that segment. So 
uh, the I need some checking in on for sure, Buster. So oh, it's a little bit like you, I'm guessing, uh, recording this podcast after the Orioles won is sort of like those hangover games yes. for teams the day after they uh, they they win a you know playoff spot. Yes, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I am not hungover, but uh, a little bit scatterbrained for sure. So, <laughs> well, we uh, we we strive for accountability here at the Baseball Tonight podcast. Uh, Brian Stone King writes in as a Red Sox fan, 2023 sucked hard. I'm happy to see the O's win the division. I'll be rooting for the O's or Rangers versus the Phillies in the World Series. I'm sure that won't happen, but that's what I want. Well, okay. Like All right. Thanks, Bri. Yeah, that that would be, uh, you know, O's Phillies would be a, a great World Series. That would be a reprise of 1983. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The last time, the last time the O's won the World Series. It's been a while, as they say. Uh, yep. Amy Chapman writes in fascinating interview this week uh, about the O or the, excuse me, the Oakland A's sitch. Is there any chance that the other owners oppose the deal at their next meeting? The owner's lawyer, Manfred, has been pushing for the move to Las Vegas from the start. So I've wondered that because I have heard, you know, when I've asked about the situation, about the, the relocation committee and their work, and I keep on getting back. There's a lot of work to be done. Because I'm sure that there are people in that committee are asking the same questions we were the other day with Tim Kuhn. Like, if, in fact, uh, the athletics were within $35 million of clinching a deal with Oakland, how do you let that get away? Yeah. Like, how do you let that get away if you're Major League Baseball for a $12 billion project? That makes no sense to me. There's some more John Fisher scumbag updates. He has his lobbyists in Nevada um, attacking the teachers union who was like, hey, why don't we spend that money not on a stadium? Why don't we spend it on the children? Not a reason, an unreasonable question. And then he's now complaining that he owns the the MLS team in the Bay Area and he wants a new stadium for them, too. So this guy is insatiable. <laughs> it's crazy. And he just got a new stadium, right? <laughs> like eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not very old. So. Uh, I don't know. Man. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, Burns Logan writes in, do you think the failure to reach a deal between Oakland and the A's is about neither party bridging the funding gap for development or more about long-term revenue potential? If Las Vegas has better revenue, doesn't matter what the gap is in Oakland. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we didn't get into this too much with Tim the other day, but uh, the athletics, the A's would have had their obligation to, uh, you know, the project that, that they were creating in Oakland and maybe on the back of the envelope uh, uh, calculation that John Fisher was doing, he felt like, hey, it's a better financial deal in Las Vegas. And that's what it comes down to. But I, I, I think that they all ought to just shut up and anyone <laughs> making any sort of criticism of the Oakland fans. I mean, that to me is like, I, I thought Rob, you know, earlier this year when he, he kind of indicated, well, the team wasn't supported. Come on, it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Louisville Slugger at Ville Slugger six writes in with the regular season close to over. The pitch clock has been considered a rousing success, but what's the player and public opinion about the shift ban? Appear there's appears there's more action in the game as intended. Yeah, I agree. Now there hasn't been as much of an impact from the shift as I think people anticipated, in part because <laughs> you watch games play out, basically like if uh, a right-handed hitter's up, you'll see the second baseman tucked against the second base bag, making plays on the shortstop side. So the numbers haven't uh, climbed as, as much as they had hoped for offensively. But the fact is, is that you have a little bit more offense with games that last an average of 24 minutes less it does feel like there's a ton more action. I think it's been a huge success for baseball. 
Andrew DeSalvo writes in, do you think the rise in social media accounts chronicling the behind-the-play performances of umpires will have a material impact on Major League Baseball moving to robot umpires, or is it already just a matter of when and not if it will happen? No, I don't think they're going to move to a complete uh, robot umpire system is my guess. I think they like the intermediate system where they have challenges during the course of games, and I like that better. I, I don't like because it's not only – you know, you get the ball strike calls right. But if you go to the full robo umpire, then all of these skills that catchers have developed over the years, they all become obsolete. And I think you have to respect that particular, uh, you know, position and all those players who who, play, who man that position in making a change like that. Taylor, do you agree with me? Kind of. I would actually be really interested on in what Adley Rutschman thinks about it because he's a great pitch framer, but he's been dogged by these terrible strike zones all all season yeah. long, more so than a lot of players. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Andrew Campbell, last one for, oh, I'm sorry, Bri Baker. He writes in, if Justin Turner decides against picking up his option with the Red Sox, would the Yankees have any interest? Yes, he will be 39 next season, but he also checks two important needs for the Yanks. Good offensive third baseman and great clubhouse guy. Yeah, I mean, and he would, you know, the Justin Turner of 2023, anybody would want him. My instinct is, is that the Yankees this offseason have to focus on getting younger and more athletic and getting a 39 year old Justin Turner wouldn't necessarily do that. Yeah. All right. Last one for the week. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew. Uh, this is a good one here. Not a basketball pod, but as a lifelong Portland Trailblazer fan, my heart has been wretched out of my chest with the departure of Damian Lillard. Buster, was there ever a baseball trade that broke your heart? What is the MLB equivalent of Dame going to Milwaukee? Break my heart, my heart, you know, as a Dodger fan growing up. No, you know, they were prominent Dodgers who were traded. I'm going to go bigger picture, like a, a trade that I think broke the heart of the fans uh, that followed the team. I'm going to say when Tom Seaver got traded from the Mets to Cincinnati, mm. that was a big deal. Because he was Tom Terrific, uh, you know, he was the best pitcher in baseball, and you know, he was involved. Uh, you know, it was at the heart of them winning the 1969 World Series, and I can remember just an outcry from Mets fans when he was dealt forward, essentially because of a spat that he had with the team's general manager at the time. Hmm. All right, hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Thanks for writing in, everyone. We will talk to you on Monday. We're going back to five days a week next week. Postseason's here. I'm excited. I think so. Although we might, you know, we'll we'll talk right. about which days we have. Right. You know, right. We we uh, we'll do that. We'll definitely have a podcast Monday. We're going to tape that on Sunday. We're going to talk. Out, we're going to plan out loud here, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do a podcast on Tuesday. On uh, Wednesday and on Thursday. Yes, we agree. Yeah, I think that's good. So averaging like four and a half podcasts a week. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. We'll we'll see how it goes. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Sarah, Todd, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for